Thank you so much for tuning in to the Spiro Avenue Show. You could follow us on social media at Spiro Avenue on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can also watch our full episodes and clips and highlights on YouTube. And we would appreciate it if you could hit that subscribe button for us. Anyways, thank you so much for tuning in, and I hope you enjoy. I, I think you do an awesome job at making people like me insecure about why we weren't at your level <laughs> when we were 12 years old. You're this beloved figure. You're this rational, uh, smart, intelligent voice for Michigan State Athletics. You're a talented guy, talented writer. You really know your shit, and I'm happy to have you. I think it's a privilege for our audience to hear you. If they're into this stuff at all, they're in for a treat tonight with you. Oh, boy. Justin Thind is here. I, I, I have to say that was the best. Ben, you could possibly do with like a non-athlete special intro. I love it. Welcome back to Spiro Avenue, Justin Spiro. Obviously, there's no guest host of this show ever. It's always me. You're always stuck with me one way or another. Before we get started, and I am excited to get started, just want to say real quick, uh, sending love to my good friend Chris Castellani, going through some shit right now, came out as always very publicly, you know, talking about the issues he's facing and Sending a lot of love to Chris. I know thousands are are echoing that sentiment. So love you, Chris, and you'll get after it. We know you will, like you always do. Let's get on. Michigan State football, Justin. The Justin and Justin show today is going to be interesting. I think there's some areas where you and I are going to agree and we're going to play nice. And there's going to be some points of this conversation probably a little bit later as it pertains to the basketball program, where I think this conversation is going to resemble our text messages, which is not a, a very friendly place. I mean, it, 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 it's a little bit contentious sometimes in our text messages. I get very upset. Not quite like Tony Paul level. Tony and I will have hours long arguments, mm. but we'll get to that. Let's get to where I think we may have some meaning of the minds here. I want to start Michigan State football right now where we stand. I, there's a lot of people with a lot of opinions on this topic. And it has broached the the regional wall. Mm-hmm. We are into the national right. basket now where everyone's got an opinion on Michigan State. Even when things were good last year, 11-win season, people had a lot of opinions about Mel Tucker's contract. It was all a Kenneth Walker mirage. Right. It seemed pretty negative even last year. Right. This year, it's a lot worse. Let's start here. Dan Wetzel, who has turned down... 700 invitations to appear on this show, even though he lives locally. Yahoo Sports has written a few scathing articles about this program, specifically Kenneth, uh, Kenneth Walker. He's mentioned Kenneth Walker a lot, specifically Mel Tucker and his lack of control, how this thing is off the rails. I want you to respond to this. Let's throw up that Dan Wetzel graphic to start. So this is a recent article about, I don't know, about 10 days ago now. Quote, the task ahead for Mel Tucker is clear. Right this ship and quickly. Hopes were high. Recruiting looked strong. Mel Tucker cast a big presence and personality. Then it all came unglued. Michigan State has been a mess this season. Mel Tucker should be better than this, and staff changes are likely. That big contract is a punchline, something for rival recruiters to poke fun at. Mel Tucker better come right and quickly. Okay, what do you make of this, Justin? This is one of many scathing Mel Tucker pieces we've read from Wetzel, from national people abroad. Do you think that this season, five and seven, as painful as it was, was a sign of, oh, shit, Mel Tucker's in trouble. Better write this shit quick or else. 
or is this more just kind of a, eh, we're going to get past this pretty quickly. Like, is this more real or fake to you? I, I take issue with two specific parts of, of that excerpt. One for Dan to say that the um, amount of money that Tucker makes is a punchline for rival recruiters. Um, I guarantee you that that's not what rival recruiters are bringing up because what that punchline tells kids is stability. When Mel Tucker has that much money and it's guaranteed, there's no buying it out. All you're highlighting is that Tucker is there to stay. Kids aren't going to sit there and be like, oh, the coach is making nine and a half million and he's not winning. You're right. I probably shouldn't go there. Kids aren't going to care about money in any scope other than stability. Second of all, as for things becoming unglued, Michigan State had one four-star decommitment in the entire five and seven season. And if things becoming unglued means that they still have nine four-star commits, which is a school record, and could potentially add three to four more, I don't see how that's becoming unglued. I think that's the best recruiting class I've ever seen Michigan State put together. So those specific points from that excerpt, I, I couldn't disagree more with. Um, in terms of just the general scheme of things, I think the biggest thing that you'll see people talk about when they talk down on Mel Tucker's urgency or lack of meeting expectations is to bring up the contract. If you remove the contract from the equation and the expectations that come with that, I don't think that his tenure has been underwhelming in that sense. Now, the 11 wins raised the bar probably too high. Myself and many others kind of forgot the process that was um, necessary to rebuild this program. You're not able to go ahead and accept five wins if you've just seen 11. But instead of looking at it as a linear rebuild and looking at it as, okay, most of the roster transferred out when Coach Tucker got here and went down to Mac schools and group of five schools. Um, the fact of the matter is that the 2021 class wasn't very good and it wasn't going to be very good. You have a coach recruiting for a 24 and 23 program in the previous four years over Zoom uh, coming in in February where other kids had already taken their junior day visits to other universities uh, months before that. And that class wasn't any good. The 2020 class wasn't very good. Um, they patchworked a lot of stuff with the portal the year before with Kenneth Walker and some other guys, but the core of this team just wasn't going to be a team that can win a lot of games. And one season of defying the norm should not have reset expectations that the rebuild is over. So I think really at the end of the day, this is a program that needed time. It's a program that needed patience and 11 wins and $95 million has people becoming illogical about the task at hand. That's what I think has happened. And to piggyback your point, and I'll defer to you on the recruiting, what is actually said, what would actually move the needle or not one direction or the other. I would say intuitively, the $95 million doesn't just speak to stability and, and the fact that he's going to be there for the long run. It also speaks to just general resources. Right. You're, you're not going to a small-time program. The money that's there, whether it's in the program or a phone call away in, in the form of Matt Ishbia, I, I think that's sort of an argument as well. So, I mean, big picture... We all hated this year. If you care about Michigan State, this year sucked. There's no way around it. Throw out the tunnel controversy. Right. The on-field thing just sucked. You seem to think that this is not that big of a deal, big picture. Right. You, uh, do you feel 5% less confident in the rebuild, the nature of it, the path it's on than you did 12 months ago? I mean, are you a little bit shaken at all? Well, I mean... I expected them to win seven games instead of five. So I, 
I guess I, I sure 5% less, but nothing systematic or infrastructural. Like I don't see any cracks in the foundation. I just think it might take a little longer than, than a lot of us thought, maybe one additional year before they're in the contention for big 10 um, East championships. But I think, yeah, it's just, it's going to take maybe one more additional year, but I don't, there's no cracks in the foundation or long-term wavering for me in terms of where the vision of the program is going. No, but you are aware that you are deviating from the national line though, because the yeah. national line is very in line with Dan Wetzel right. unglued off the rails, out of control. Right disaster this and he's dan wetzel said this is a total mess right this is not a picture of bumping the road that's being painted this is painted as they are in defcon one mode this is a complete crisis and if they don't get it right immediately if they start two and two next year they're going to talk about firing mel tucker that's like that stuff's out there you think that's a bunch of hogwash essentially is that yeah fair? i don't i don't think it's possible to have that take if you're watching every single minuscule detail of the way the program is recruiting and the way that the younger classes right now, the 2022 and 2023 classes are looking, when you have a lot of guys like Dylan Tatum, Malik Spencer, Zion Young, um, those guys on defense, they're going to be starting for years to come. You have um, a lot of good offense alignment from the 2022 class that the rankings wouldn't reflect as being that good. You have guys like um, Braden Miller. You have guys like Ashton Lepo, Christian Phillips. All the core pieces are already there from the 2022 class, and that class wasn't even top 20. This next class right here that's about to sign in two weeks, like I said, that's a school record for four stars right now before they even add any more. 2024, we are a long ways away from signing that class. You already have two top 100 and I think 75 kids, possibly a third one entering the fold in December. You could have three four-star commits in the 2024 class before the 2022 calendar ends. Anybody that's following recruiting right now at Michigan State, I don't understand how they can say that anything is ongoing right now. Sure, the, the tunnel thing was a bad look, but Tucker did his job kind of taking care of that. More sort of um, responsible handling of that than we've seen from other um, coaches in, in this state. And I think the fact of the matter is, is that no one wants to talk about it. Everyone talks about excuses, but they were fielding their C team for the second half of that year on defense. Um, they have they have guys that were coming over there playing that you didn't even think coming into the season would be a part of the three deep, let alone the two deep. So I think right now the the key is to have one fully healthy season next year. No massive injury bugs. Obviously, guys are going to be banged up. You have your core players play most of the season next year. I think you're going to start to see signs. They might not go ahead and win nine, ten games, maybe not even eight games. But you're going to see a lot of young kids looking like those kind of defensive centerpieces that that we were expecting Mel Tucker to get when he started recruiting here. And for him to land a record setting four star class after a five and seven season at Michigan State. I don't know. I don't know if that is something I would have thought was possible a few years ago. And it's it's about to become possible, even in one of the more struggling seasons I can remember. So, OK, we've addressed the national perception. We've right. addressed your perception and the stuff you're seeing. Right. I have joked that you are like, is it Lucius Fox and the Batman, you know, the Nolan movies, you, you have everyone's cell phone tapped in the country on the recruiting <laughs> side. We've addressed the first two. Obviously, guys still committing. It, it sort of speaks for itself. But what is the anecdotal buzz? You have your finger on the pulse with this stuff. Is the enthusiasm about Mel Tucker at the high school level, the recruiting level, is it down a little bit? Because when you were here last year, it was he's the celebrity coming off with the Gucci bag and he's got the, you know, the cigars <laughs> and he's like a celebrity that you had the clip that we used again and again and people loved. 
Has that been dinged at all? We talked about the other two aspects. What's the buzz at the high school recruiting level among kids? What are you hearing, pro, con, or neutral? Yeah, I think the biggest thing is talking to the coaches of these high school kids, uh, the trainers of these high school kids. Um, those are the guys that really shape the influence of a lot of these recruitments. And for them, they they never fully bought into the sort of the Gucci bag and that stuff. They bought into what they hear when they talk to Mel Tucker. So um, when when they talk to him, they they see the defensive coordinator that coached in the national championship. They see the guy that coached in the NFL for all these years. That is beyond a cult of personality. That is a substance-based assessment that a lot of these coaches have of Mel Tucker. Um, obviously, it helped get him on the map, and it, got, it built his profile when he was doing the flashy things, and I think they should definitely continue doing that. Um, but I think where a lot of the interest in playing for Mel Tucker stems from, that's not going to go away from just one down season. The resume and um, sort of the pedigree is just too big for, for that to fade in a short amount of time. I think what, what can really help them is if they continue to recruit nationally the way that they are, um, which I don't see that slowing down, and then kind of showing some life in terms of the, well, kind of like they did against Miami. You have, you have a win like that against Miami and uh, South Florida woke up. Um, they had an opportunity to do that in the Pacific Northwest. Didn't fully take advantage of that, but they got to play Washington again next year. You have some of those marquee wins while other programs are not playing those national games early in the season. Um, and you go ahead, you continue recruiting nationally. You keep your name out there. You keep talking to these coaches and these trainers. You just, it's, it's substance more than the flash. And I think that that's really still resonating with people at this point in time. As much as I love your work, I did recently cheat on you and read one of your colleagues' coverage of Michigan State. But I know you appreciated the piece because you shared it as well. Mm -hmm. uh, Ari Wasserman right. at The Athletic had a very interesting take on the Mel Tucker blip, catastrophe, whatever you want to call it, this 5-7 and seven season. I thought it was a good way to look at this. So we grabbed this. He, he argued that his contract, for all the heat it gets, was a sense of forced patience. This was an excerpt from Ari Wasserman's article. Quote, Anyone who has lost track of what Michigan State is trying to do has either taken their eyes off the ball or never understood the build to begin with. What Tucker is doing, trying to elevate Michigan State's stature in the recruiting realm, isn't an overnight process. This is a five-year plan if it works at all. Tucker's long-term vision has been paying dividends. The Spartans haven't arrived, but four-star prospects are committing to the program in greater numbers. What could this look like in five years? Keep your eyes on the prize and never lose sight of the long-term vision. So Ari's take seems to be in line with yours. It's right. effectively, four stars are still coming. Don't lose sight of what the big, you know, long-term goal was here. Tucker is still building towards a national brand, a national competition level. That's what he talked about. When he got hired, it was so different. And I've talked about it with you. D'Antonio's hired. We want to go win the Big Ten. We want to go to the Rose Bowl. He didn't even talk about national championships. I mean, we probably would have laughed at him. People were laughing about him talking about the Rose Bowl. Mel Tucker has never talked about that, really. It's, it's been more of a national focus. Do you think Ari's take seems to be on point where we have kind of what you said earlier, lost the vision here and people need to relax? And this is not only not a huge deal, it's really no big deal at all. This was always going to be looked at in year five and six more than year two and a half, three. Right. I think um, that's spot on by Ari. And, and, and talking about D'Antonio, um, I think uh, it was six years before he had an 11-1 season in his, in his football career. And um, 
it kind of shows that that's kind of where football used to be a few years ago before all these um, quick firings and quick hirings and trying to get the flash in the pan and moving on when the coach has a dip in performance. And I think just like Ari said, um, the term forced patience, I think I'm going to use that a lot going forward now. Um, so uh, shout out to Ari, but that's a great way of looking at it. And I was talking to um, the parent of a current freshman here right now. Um, they were, we were talking about the playing time that true freshmen were getting on defense this year. And um, part of what I kind of understood from the way that they were just putting guys out there and if they were struggling, they were struggling. It didn't matter was because they don't really have to worry about, Oh, if, if we are struggling because we have young guys out there, we might get fired. No, they're able to develop guys on their own time on. They're able to take risks. They're able to play these guys. And as a result of that, you're seeing young guys flourish early and you're going to see those guys pay dividends as they get to the senior year. If you're someone like Jimbo Fisher, well, he has a similar contract. He's probably not a good example, but they're probably going to find a way to fire him. But if, if you're a coach where you're kind of in win now mode, you might not be able to go ahead and put Zion Young out there earlier than you need to before injury concerns. You might not be able to go ahead and put Malik Spencer in there uh, when Kendall Brooks gets hurt. So you see these signs of what forced patience and sort of some job security can do on the field. And I think what you're going to see is a lot of development through the ranks. I know people talk about the portal and some people that are sort of anti-portal worry about developing the young guys. I think the patience that Mel Tucker has been afforded with this deal is going to allow them to build this the right way without feeling the pressure of overnight trying to milk every possible win out of it, which they're still going to try to do, as you see with the portal. But it's going to be a good blend. And I think forced patience is what allows them to derive that sort of sort of. Patience. I agree. And I'm curious for your, your take on this, because here's my read on how I see Michigan State as unique. Typically, when you're looking at these national stories, calling out coaches, saying things are off the rails, it's every USC coach between Pete Carroll and Lincoln Riley. It's every University of Miami coach the last 20 years. It's you're seeing it with Jimbo Fisher now. You get these articles that are, are everyone saying what a mess things are, and they better get it right. Typically, if you go to the source and, and go to well-sourced people, they say that's in line with what the boosters are saying, the administration. Right. The administration is usually pissed off. The boosters are usually pissed off. And it's, a, it's reflected in the media. This seems unique. Everyone I've talked to, you're more plugged in on the recruiting side. I, I'll punch with you on the donor on the right. MSU admin side. I think right. We're, we're right there. We're tied. Okay. Everyone I've talked to, is not even in the least bit affected by any of this. They, it's, it, they laugh. They laugh they, at these articles. They laugh. It's, it's like, because I've asked Malt, and I will talk off the air, but I guarantee there's a lot of overlap on the Venn diagram. Yeah. People are laughing because I've asked, I said, this is crazy. Like, no one's really like, oh my God, put up our setup next year. They laugh. Right. There is no, and that's unique to Michigan State because yeah. I can't think of another example where everyone on the outside is, oh my God. And on the inside, it's like, whatever. Even Jim Harbaugh, they wanted him to go. Like, right. Michigan wanted him to go. Yeah. So I think Michigan State's unique. But so you seem to agree. Everyone yeah. you've talked to, this is all outside noise. Nobody worth the shit up there in the administration. No one feeding money into the program. No one with any modicum of influence is even... 2% upset with right. their head coach and their direction. Is that reflective of your experience? Too? Absolutely. I've, I've been in a room with some of the people that, that sort of have a lot of juice in these decisions. And honestly, they're much less affected than the actual like average fan. 
and they have invested millions in, in, in the current regime. And I think that's a great way of kind of putting into perspective the vision that people are making these decisions have with the, the process and the patience and the timeline required. It greatly varies from the people on the outside. And um, obviously, they call them fanatics for a reason. People are not going to all have measured composure when it comes to um, the way that that seasons go. But I totally vouch vouch for what you're saying there about the people that are that are in these positions of power. They could not even be um, remotely bothered at this point in time. And that is unique because again, what you hear about these the USC boosters are pissed off at Lane Kiffin and and you know right. Clay Helton and it, you you've heard every Miami coach. It's always chaos administratively. The boosters right. are all pissed off, calling off making uh, calling up making demands. That's not Michigan State right now. It's yeah. just not. And you could say. Everyone's naive. I mean, you can make of that whatever you want. Right. It's a free country. But I do think Michigan State is operating from a uniquely strong standpoint as opposed to other uh, universities that have been in similar situations where Dan Wetzel's of the world are, are trying to light the thing on fire. Yeah. That's, that's my take on it. This year in general, though, as much as it sucked, I, I do think we can move past it. Don't they have to have kind of a pretty good year next year? Because if you go 5-7 and seven again then maybe do some of our same mutual friends up there start asking questions. I mean, how long is the runway? I've always been a five-year runway guy. To me, I need two more years of, of flailing and drowning before I even ask questions. Right. Maybe I'm dumb. What's your kind of timeline? I'm at the same thing of two years. But I guess it depends what, what you consider flailing. I, I think they have to make a bowl game next year. I mean, not have to, like no one's going to come over there, knock down the door and, and shit mail away if he doesn't. But I think a reasonable expectation is they, they make a bowl game next year. Um, what you kind of look at is who's coming back. And it's pretty much a lot of the core guys, except Jaden Reed and Jacob Slade, for the most part. Um, Henderson, very key. We saw what the defense was without him. But a lot of these spots, you have guys that are able to rise and then a lot of a lot of surrounding pieces that are there that are good. The issue is they don't have a lot of NFL guys on this team right now. Keon Coleman, I think, is one of them. Um, there's probably a few other guys there, too. But that's not going to happen until a few years pass. They, they just don't have those guys that come in with that NFL pedigree, develop for two, three, four years, and, and hit the NFL. Like They'll have guys that'll play in the fourth round, that'll be picked in the fourth round. Like I think Jacoby Winman, when he goes... Um, either this year or next year, I'd say 70% chance it's next year, not this year, but probably a fourth round pick. I think um, you're looking at a few guys, maybe on defense um, in in the trenches, like a Simeon Barrow type. Um, I think Zion Young, when his time comes, I remain high on him, but it's guys sprinkled in here and there that could play at the next level. They need the 2023 class to become upperclassmen before you start to see actual NFL talent at a large scale on, in this program. So that's really the timeline for me is when can you have NFL players at more than a little sprinkle or a nitpicking level? And until then, I think it's going to be a process, but I do think that they should be able to make a bowl game in, in the ensuing years before that time comes. Let's talk about expediting that process. You had a funny tweet. We pulled the picture. Ben, throw that out there. I, I, I got to kick out of this. <laughs> this. I think it was yesterday, right? Trans, transfer portal season in full swing and, you got the sandwich and the coffee and the multi-screens ready to, ready to rock. So, look, what's going on with MSU right now in the portal? Every time I see anything, it's a guy going out. I haven't seen anything about a guy coming in. Maybe I'm missing it. Maybe they're not at that point yet. I have no idea. What's going on? Like, how are they looking? Is it a net positive, neutral, negative? Where are we at right, right now as we stand? So you say that you've seen a lot of guys depart. I say that we haven't seen enough guys depart. 
if if you break down the numbers right now, okay. a, as as of a few hours ago, Michigan State has room for eight more additions. Um, when I say additions, I mean not guys that are already publicly committed in the high school ranks. It's new high school commits and any portal addition. That's not enough. You, you want to throw guys out. I'm not throwing anybody out. Everyone that wants to stay at Michigan State, um, I'm sure Spartan Nation welcomes them with open arms. And um, I, I think what it really comes down to is there's um, a few guys where it's mutually beneficial for them to go ahead and get some playing time and get some starts at at levels where, um, you know, they can maximize their final year or two of college football by, by seeing more playing time than they will here. I think it's uh, Michigan State doesn't do it where they're like, oh, you're going to have to leave because we're not going to play you. That's not how, how it's done here. I think it's just sort of um, them mutually kind of understanding like, hey, you'll probably play more if you if you go elsewhere. And um, here you probably won't ever be at the top line of the depth chart. And um, it's done probably respectfully and cordially in that way. But my point is, is if you can get down to maybe 70 um, scholarships that are currently being occupied by the guys that are committed in the high school ranks and the guys on the roster, you've given yourself 15 spots to add portal guys and additional high school commits before signing day. That I think is the sweet spot. That's what I, I think it would be ideal for them to somehow get down to. I don't know if that'll happen. I can't speculate on guys that are thinking about depart departing or not. I haven't even asked about who might be departing. Um, but if you can get down to that number, and I think some of the needs that stick out to me is maybe going ahead and getting one offensive tackle, um, getting a safety to pair next to Jaden Mangum next year on the other side, um, ideally a corner, just because the talent level in that room isn't high enough there. A defensive tackle to just slide in and replace Slade. Um, whereas Toonmi's Adelai, I reported today, is going to be visiting Michigan State this weekend, one of the elite players from the 2021 class. If you can spot fill a few positions like that, I think if um, you asked me the team needs, I think there would be like six spots like that. If you can get, get guys spot filled like that, I think you can have um, a season next year where you definitely make a bowl game, maybe push eight, nine wins as well. It'll depend on who they land. But I think they have they have set themselves up here pretty well to go ahead and pick out a few spots in the portal. I've seen some of the guys that are evaluating. Um, I don't know where the um, the interest is going to go with some of them, but I kind of like the mold that they're looking at right now. It's some of those highly productive group of five kids or those very talented, very young kids that went to blue chip schools. Um, not as many types that are resembling maybe somebody that didn't play at Alabama for four years, came here and didn't excel that well either. So really liking the mold that they're looking at, really liking the kind of the, the spots they're targeting and we'll see, we'll see who they can close in on. So let me ask you this. You seem to be calming everyone down because people were asking you for a hug via my DMS earlier today saying, please ask them if we're going to be okay. You're saying we're okay. Is there any surprise outgoing transfer that you see coming and i mean not mildly surprised and i mean peyton thorne keon coleman do you think there's a bombshell exit that no one is talking about right now so i couldn't name one person surprise or not that i know is transferring i'm or, not saying no say, i'm not saying no do you get the is there a chance have you heard anything because people are saying oh peyton thorne's gonna go to western like, oh, people are saying this like it's uh, a matter of fact <laughs> they're like where did that come from i it's not sourced to what head coach well, that's TBD. They're work. They're working on it. Maybe they'll elevate his dad. I don't know. But look, it's just anything like that. Do you think there's a chance that we see something that we're like, holy shit, Keon Coleman's in the portal? 
I, if there, if that would have happened, I feel if there was something like that, I feel like it would have already happened. Okay. Um, you can't really predict the future, but a lot of the times when you see the bombshell guys leave, it's because guys have been tampered with in that window before the window opened. So, so the past three or four weeks. So in, the, in order for that to kind of happen, these guys would have been talking to some of the best players on Michigan's team, Michigan state's team and saying, Hey, enter the portal. We're going to give you this amount of money. I suppose that somebody could still transfer, but typically when that sort of a situation happens, it happens immediately. So December 5th, yesterday. So, I mean, I, I've been never surprised never, before, but, yeah. but I, I, I don't see it happening now that it didn't happen on the first day. But plus, I got to say, other schools, even really good ones, I'm talking about AP top 10 schools, they lose starters to the portal two to three times a year. Michigan State to this day has not lost a starter, and this is the third portal season. Um, Jack Stone, I guess he started a few games. He was a kickoff specialist, but I don't know if he's going to be continuing football unless he gets a scholarship in the state of Texas. That's my understanding. So not really a departure if he is departing football, per se, most likely. Um, I guess I think Deshaun Mallory started a few games because of massive injury bugs. Um, Davion Williams a few years ago started, I think, a couple games, but no bona fides. Yeah, Michigan State's not losing guys that are starters on the depth chart on day one of September, and there are not many programs that can say that. So I don't know of anyone of leaving. I, I think they should be able to get through another year of that streak continuing. But if they lost two or three guys, I don't know how this fan base would handle it because I've seen people being nervous and faltering over the guys that have that have left this season. And um, other schools have dealt with way worse portal transfers and have kept their composure more than this. So hoping that that that, that streak continues. So the message boards stay calm. Oh, yeah. <laughs> message boards staying calm. Good luck with that, Justin. <laughs> That's very ambitious. Look, my my perspective is this is the season. This is the time of our lives, basically, that we're in. It's portal season and it's portal era. The peanut gallery criticism of Mel Tucker, which really came heavy last year and was doubled down to some extent this year, is he's not building a program. He's doing a mercenary transfer portal thing. Does the peanut gallery have this one right? Because I don't buy it. Is it a fair criticism to say, oh, Michigan State's just on the hunt for, for a bunch of portal guys? They're not recruiting and developing guys at the high school level properly. If Mel Tucker was going to be going the mercenary route to get portal guys, there would be 10 less guys on the roster right now. There, there is no shot that this is being handled in a mercenary way while I see the roster being handled the way it is. It's, it's a situation where guys are not leaving unless they understand mutually, hey, if I go to uh, Kent State, I might play more than I will at Michigan State. That benefits my experience as a student athlete. And I think I should leave. And at Michigan State, I'm sure they will tell them honestly, like, hey, you probably might not start here. That's how the, the departures happen at Michigan State in terms of my understanding. And if that wasn't what was happening, like I said, there would be more room right now. And as far as not prioritizing the high school talent, I think what Mel Tucker has done so far here last year and this year mostly, 2021, he couldn't really help it because he was really trying to trying to get as many guys as possible. But this year and last year, what they're doing is they're not taking flyers on the fringe guys. They're still prioritizing their plan A's and, and plan B's 
what they're not doing is taking the plan C in November because they missed out on the plan A and B. That's what gives them more spots in the portal. And that's why they have bigger portal classes than some other people. So right now they have 12 commits, I believe. Um, by signing day, they'll be adding, I think, a handful more. I don't know how many, but they're probably going to end up, let's say, I don't know, anywhere between 15 to 17 guys. And other schools will probably add anywhere from 20 to 22 guys. So really the difference is, is the very, very bottom of their class is not going to have the guys they're taking flyers on. Instead, it'll be somebody in the portal that can contribute right away. Even if it's someone that's not just um, absolutely dominating out there, he'll probably make more of an impact than that flyer would have in his entire four years here at the end of the day. So it's really a difference of opinion of how to handle the flyers. It's not how is he prioritizing high school talent? Because the top of the talent is still being prioritized. Wasn't this year kind of an objective disappointment, though, in terms of the transfer portal? I mean, just I know what I thought. I know what people were saying. Jarek Broussard, oh, my God, he won conference player of the year in you know, was it 20 or whatever it was. Right. Amir Speed was starting for the best defense in 10 years before he got hurt, you know, in Georgia. Right. It, Eh, like there wasn't really much production from yeah. these guys that we were excited about. I mean, just right. as a general matter, this was kind of the bizarro Kenneth Walker experience, right? Like we did not do well in the portal on paper. We did. It didn't really translate this year. Is that right. fair? I think that's fair. Um, my counterpoint to that is when you fail in the portal, it looks worse because the failures substantiate themselves or, or make themselves evident immediately. When you fail in the high school ranks, it takes two to three years before you figure out, oh, this guy's probably not going to play. And even if that guy doesn't play, that's still going to be much more of a failure than a mere speed struggling. Because when a high school kid fails, not only do you not know that for several years, and that's eating up a scholarship that whole time, a high school kid failing could be a much lower floor of never playing a snap, never playing a game, never starting a game. Someone in the portal ranks failing, like I or not failing, but I guess underperforming, like Amir Speed, the hypothetical going going with here. He started eight nine games. Fact of the matter is, he started those games because people behind him weren't good enough to unseat him for a while. So when a portal guy fails, yes, I don't think that they should be above criticism. Yes, you're right in your assessment of how well they did, but a portal kid failing looks worse than a high school kid failing because it's evident right away. But I would still contend that their floors are significantly higher than a high school player failing. Yeah, the basement is definitely higher on right. the, the width, the portal width, right. as a general matter. And even speed, like, I don't think he was bad. I yeah, just, it was just, expectations were a little higher. Yeah, than well, he was, wasn't he like a four-star kid coming out, too? Yeah. And, I mean, and obviously a starter at Georgia, it's like, uh, expecting a little more. And we're spoiled from the year. This is the no-fly zone Right. university for 10 years yeah. i mean we expect a lot of our defensive back to it's it seems like we've gotten away from that uh, for better or for worse uh, for my sanity mostly worse look i want to transition to this you made an absolute shit storm out of twitter a few weeks back and, and i thought you were unfairly maligned and i had your back justin on this you know i had your back you come out with this report that michigan state is circling back right on dante moore superstar stud five-star quarterback recruit committed currently to the university of Oregon just for reporting the fact that Michigan state was going to circle back on him. People were acting like you were an absolute maniac that you were making this up. You're full of shit, whatever. Ridiculous. It's noteworthy. If Michigan state's interested, whether or not they have a viable chance is another matter. I'm going to butcher the guy's name. Is it Andrew Ivins? Yeah, that's correct. Ivins. I got it. That's correct. Yeah. Andrew Ivins 
waited on this a couple days ago. The possibility of Dante Moore coming to Michigan State originally reported by you that they were going to re-engage him. We're going to roll that, and I'm going to get into your thoughts on it. Is it something that seems imminent? I don't know, but is it nothing? I don't think so either. What is your read on this one? Yeah, you know, I made some calls uh, this morning, this afternoon, and I think the smoke when it comes to Michigan and State and Dante Moore is real. And, and Cooper, we talked about this on a Twitter space last week when there was kind of the first reports came out from, um, you know, uh, Spartan tailgate that the, the Michigan State was going to pursue Dante Moore. I think you said something interesting. You know, Michigan State normally has a good grasp of the kids in that uh, Detroit Metro. I think what's also playing into this a little bit is the fact that Dan Lanning, his name's getting linked to Auburn as a potential job for him. And, you know, he's He's come out and since denied any interest, or you've seen a few reports about that. But I think that's one you got to monitor. So I think this is real. He thinks it's real. Okay, Justin, is this a real possibility? I'm not saying you're predicting it. Is it 10% that this happens? Dante Moore to Michigan State? I think 10% is about right. Um, 10, so you're going 10. Yeah, sure. I, I guess we'll say that. It's a reticent 10. Okay. Ba ba basically, what I have said since the day that I reported it, and um, I actually counted. I think I have 14 posts since that day on the Shaw Lane VIP board saying it's probably not going to happen. The day that Dante schedules a Michigan State visit is the day you can start to get your hopes up. Until then, there's no reason for optimism other than the fact that him and his circle haven't hung up the phone when MSU calls. And I also said the recruitment technically doesn't even start until he gets eliminated from the high school playoffs, which only happened, I think, a week or two ago. So everyone that was getting their hopes up prior to that elimination, I don't know why that was the case because they basically weren't even recruiting him at that point. They were just calling a circle saying, hey, when the season ends, let's lock in. And um, since then, I don't think that an on-campus visit, visit has been scheduled. I think Coach Tucker is supposed to go see him at Detroit King this week. But really, in, until Dante schedules a visit, I have said not to get your hopes up. I said it's probably not going to happen. And if anyone is saying to the contrary, then I guess reading is not one of their fundamental skill sets. If he ends and, up at Oregon, people are going to drag you that's for saying that you reported that he was coming to Michigan State. You right. know that's coming. Right, right, right. right I right. mean, just so you know. It was in the reply. It, the replies um, that were resembling that stance were to a tweet where I said, while this looks doubtful or while this is doubtful um, in there, but Twitter is great at nuance. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But so but it is a, it's real in that the interest is real. They think they have at least a shot that they're going after. Him. Yeah. I think, I, I think, I think Kenny Dillingham uh, going to Arizona state gave um, an opening to Michigan state, but we'll see what, what transpires with that opening. Look, you you are much more adept at recruiting, roster management, roster construction at the college level, all this stuff. So forgive the layman's question. If this were the pro ranks, I would say, oh my God, you're recruiting Dominic Hasek to come out of retirement. You must not want Chris Osgood here. Oh, you're going after Peyton Manning. You must not like Tim Tebow. <laughs> Bad example. But in general, Kate Hauser. What does this say, if anything, about Kaden Hauser that Michigan State's got uh, a huge uh, flirtation going on, maybe, with Dante Moore? Is it just, hey, we're going to get as many talented guys as possible and fuck them? Because at quarterback, to me, is unique. Even going back to Lloyd Carr, he had the promise Drew Henson he wouldn't recruit anybody like the entire year after him, even. That was a condition of him coming. I just feel like Kaden Hauser, I believe, the highest Michigan State quarterback commit ever. 
a, a guy that by all accounts seems really impressive, everyone I've talked to up there. Is it a little bit of a dig, even unintentional, at Keaton Hauser to be all hands on deck for this other Cinderella? Not at all. And I will point you to the very similar situation happening right now at Florida. Um, they have given Jaden Rashada more than $7 million to come to the University of Florida, from what I have heard, allegedly. Um, their collective has, not them, I should say. And right now, they're putting out a full court press for 2024 five-star quarterback DJ Lagway. Now, does that mean that they don't believe in Jaden Rashada, who they just got two weeks ago um, in the 2023 class, if they're going that all out on, in 2024 for another five-star? Then no, that is not the case. Um, Ohio State, when they had CJ Stroud and, and they got Quinn Ewers, um, and then stockpiled it with um, Kyle McCord the year before, Devin Brown the year after. It's just in college football, you have to out-recruit what you got in the previous year or your program trajectory won't be pointing up. And ideally, what would happen is every time you get a new elite stud and let's say they're not a bust, they would come in, wait for a year, then uh, as a redshirt maybe, and then maybe sit as a backup then they'll get their opportunity, play two years, go to the NFL. So that's kind of the model that you've seen all over college football. Um, you were about to see that with DJU at Clemson, um, but that didn't pan out with, um, with I guess, uh, him, him executing that. But that's kind of the model that people are trying to execute. It was that Deshaun Watson to Trevor Lawrence to DJU. You can do that every single year. and every You, skip, single one, you skipped one, though, that left. You skip oh, this the, is true. This is true. This is true. Which yeah. brings me to my point. Yeah. Okay. I get it from the Michigan State perspective, but what does Caden Hauser think? I mean, I'm sure you haven't asked him. Maybe I'll ask him if he comes on the show again. I've asked people close to him. Okay. What's the answer? What does he think about? Oh my God, Dante Moore, come here. Is this just uh, whatever? They're not, they're not afraid. They're, oh, they're not afraid at all. Oh, but, oh no. Oh, no. <laughs> Bredham's got the lubricant out. Oh, my God. So he, he's saying, come on, Dante Moore. They've thrown, they've thrown at, at, at the same setting before. And Kayton Hauser has looked better in those settings. But, I'm a Hauser guy. Yeah, I'm yeah, with yeah. Brett. Like, I, I, I almost don't want them to go after anybody right. else. Yeah. But I, I, I love Hauser. Everybody yeah. up there loves Hauser. Yeah. So you, your take from talking to his circle is, eh, no big deal. Like, come on in, Dante. Yeah, they... People that are in in the actual sphere of football, they don't judge it off of rankings. They judge it off of, hey, we've seen Kane Hauser stand 30 feet from Dante Moore and throw the ball better than him at that given day. That is how they form their opinions on competitions, on, on just the nature of, of competition. So first of all, like I was saying earlier, I think it's a moot point. It's never going to be something that they have to worry about. Most likely if things trend in the it's direction of trending. conversation, right, right, right. But, but if, if that were to ever happen, um, I don't think there's going to be any issue. Um, I guess maybe if Dante would have come, came in and won the job as a true freshman, okay, maybe Kayton's not going to sit around every single year, but first of all, I would have taken Kayton against Dante more in that first freshman year anyway. And second of all, they wouldn't have, Kate and Circle wouldn't have ran in that scenario either. You have positioned us perfectly to do the Michigan fan thing. Anytime they're after some recruit and then he rejects them, they always say, oh, we didn't really want him anyway. We like this guy that we already have. I think it's you very evident it Michigan State wants Dante Moore. But yeah. I'm, I'm just saying that 
if there's an in-state quarterback playing against Michigan, two high shell defenses, I'm going to need a few quarterbacks to come in and not play like Rob Bolden, um, Devin Gardner, and some of these guys before I'm ready to say, as a true freshman, this guy's coming in and winning this job. So that's just where I stand in general. I think Bryce Underwood is going to be the first guy to come in and, and defy that. But I don't even know if Dante Moore is going to get the opportunity to start at Oregon as a, as a true freshman, because I believe Bo Nix is 50, 50 and coming back. So we'll never know for sure. If he, if Bo Nix comes back, if Dante would have been the guy to reverse that trend, but I'm just not ready to say a Michigan in-state quarterback is going to be able to start as a true freshman in the power five until I see them transition from playing against very basic defenses, not having year round football, like you see down in the South to suddenly playing as a true freshman without red shirting. So that's just where my take is on a general sense, not with Dante Moore specifically, but that feeds into, I guess, the way I look at it. I hear a lot of buzz about Caton Hauser up there. He's looking pretty good in practice all year. I, I don't know if you're hearing the same stuff, Justin, but I was hearing the same stuff. Colton Pouncey started at your predecessor at the athletic in that role, but they like him up there a lot. Like the players had told me off camera, like he's, he's good. So yeah. I, I think they're good hands either way, but I had to talk about Dante Moore when I have one of the top recruits in the country and the guy who broke the story that Michigan state is still jonesing for this guy. So I yeah. had to ask you, right. all right, so we'll move on. This is where you and I might fight. Okay. I'm going to try, I'm going to try to be Zen on this. The Michigan state basketball season, <clears throat> as it relates specifically to the transfer portal. Tom Izzo, defiant to the end this offseason on this issue, wanted nothing to do with the transfer portal. You're, you're going to push back on that with the Bridges thing. I know. We'll get to that. Just, just calm down. But he went in front of the camera repeatedly and said, I'm rolling with my guys. We grabbed one of the clips. We had Tyson Walker and Jaden Akins respond to this. I want to get your take on it. But let's roll Tom Izzo defiantly shouting down the transfer portal. Because we could be damn good, guys, and start out one and seven. So everybody get ready for it. We could, we could be damn good and be one and seven. Okay? So um, not many teams can say that. And, um, you know, what's the first thing everybody's going to say? Should have gone to the transfer. I don't give a damn. I did what I believe is right for my players, for my program, for my culture. Those three things are the most important to me. Will I adjust? I might. I'm not being stubborn on it. I'm really not. I believe what I believe. Okay, and I believe what I believe. I disagree with everything he said except where he pointed out, oh, if we get off to a shaky start, the first thing people are going to say is, should have gone to that transfer portal. That's the one thing I agree with. And he's right about that because that's exactly what I'm saying. When I'm seeing, look, I'm sure Carson Cooper is a great kid. I'm sure uh, everyone on this roster is a wonderful person and kind to their family and friends. This roster needed at least one or two pieces. And you are talking about Michigan State University, not DePaul, not Kent State, not Eastern. I mean, it just how am I supposed to sit here and watch a thin bench, Sissoko in foul trouble on the boat? The team's just dead. They have no, no one to put in that can guard anybody in the post. How can that happen? Why is that acceptable? If you swing and miss, I'll dance with you. I'll defend you. I got TM Izzo on my license plate. I love the man. Nobody loves Tom Izzo more than me. Maybe even his own family. This is indefensible, what they've done. Openly, defiantly saying F you to the portal. 
And they're in foul trouble. They're having their annual ankle injury, which always happens. I don't know why. What's going on there? That's an Ant Wright pet topic. They blew this portal cycle, right? They got nothing. They didn't want nothing after the Bridges whiff. How else am I supposed to interpret this thin bench, team losing close games because they don't have anybody to put in there worth a damn? I'm sorry. It's, I'm being realistic. You, you, I know you disagree. Tell me why I'm wrong. How am I wrong here? They blew this. When Izzo talks about everything he talked about there and the scope of last offseason, he's talking about center. He's only talking about center. They tried, they flew over to Jalen Bridges almost the day he entered the portal, tried everything they could to get him. He went to Baylor. Then um, Izzo invited the entire extended family of Micah Parrish from Oakland, another small forward, power forward. He wanted 30 minutes per game, I heard. And he went ahead and went to the Mountain West, I believe. They really tried to get forwards. Center, they willingly chose not to get one. There's no, there's no way about kind of spinning that. But those are two very, very different approaches. Forward and center had very different approaches applied to them. One of them, they did not want someone at. The other one, they tried really hard, but kids just had unreal expectations for playing time. And when Malik Hall is coming back, Jaden Akins is better than Micah Parrish. They're not able to promise 30 minutes per game to this dude. So they tried at forward, couldn't get it. Center, they didn't want it. Now, talking about center, if I was Tom Izzo, I would have tried to have gotten Manny Bates, who ended up going to Butler. I've told you that I, I wanted a center this offseason. Now, here's the devil's advocate to what we both agree on with center. Let's say they get Manny Bates the, this, this season, right? They will have won several more games than when a true freshman um, Jackson Kohler has to play or a true freshman Carson Cooper has to play. They probably would have gone another round further in the NCAA tournament. They would not have won an NCAA title. Next year, however, when they add four really good recruits to a core that could all remain, they could win an NCAA title. But now, when you have Manny Bates coming this year and leaving, Jackson Kohler not playing many minutes at all, suddenly thrust into the primary backup center position, he's much worse next year than he is this year. Now, with that said, I still would have gotten Manny Bates. But it's not as cut and dry as we make it seem to be. Next year's team, if you believe is the title chance, would have been significantly worse if Jackson Kohler doesn't play this year. Okay, so if you want to make the 24, you know, 2024 argument, fine. I mean, that's fine. I'm sorry. Even you said it. Go get a center. Like, I wanted to win that game on the boat. Yes. They would have won the game on the boat. They would have won had... the game if they had Manny Bates behind Matty Suzuko they, on the boat. They would have won the game on the boat. I want to win the game on the boat. How long are we every fucking year kicking it down? Oh, just wait till next year. It's like the bad news bears. Another thing, just wait till next year. And he chucks the beer at them. I don't want to wait till next year anymore. I'm, do you realize, wait till next year? This has been, by Michigan State standards, a bad program for the last couple of years. A bad team, not right. a bad program, bad team. Yeah. Right? The last couple right. years? Right. I think Izzo has said that several times as well. Oh, good. Then what are we arguing about? I'm, it's the open defiance. If you're out there trying, you can talk about the forward thing. 
I'll, fine, I'll give you on the bridges thing. I'm sorry, I have a hard time believing, I haven't watched every other program, big and small, including my other school, University of North Carolina, who is having their own problems, but they went out and got Nance. That, that team had way more coming back this year than Michigan State. Nance didn't want 30 minutes. Nance wanted to win. Micah Parrish wanted 30 minutes. Okay, so we can go through every example. So you're telling me Michigan State, has this unique problem where it's the one good school that didn't have any minutes that they could promise. Every other school's getting somebody. What other school struck out like this? Did anybody? Baylor, UNC, they all added guys. I, 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 come on. Kansas added somebody. Who, who did they add? I'm bad with the, the outside of the Big Ten. Everybody added pieces this year, except Michigan State in that sort of top 15 to 20 traditional program. I'm not talking right. about AP ranking. I'm talking about just profile the last right, right, 20 right, right. years. It, this is the one exception. So I just to me, it sounds like, and you're not a homer. You, you're a straight shooter. But that sounds like the homer take. Uh, you're not a homer, but that sounds like the homer take. Ah, oh, yeah, guys wanted 35 minutes, and they wanted the, the Caleb Swanigan, rest in peace, private chef. That's bullshit. The coach said he didn't want anybody. I played the clip with Walker and Aikens. I played three clips of him saying that. So are, is he lying? I'm sorry. He said he didn't want anybody after the Bridges thing. We he's all not, know he went after Bridges. He's not lying. He's talking selectively about half of the two needs that he has. He's, he's wrong. He should have. And, and I love Tom Izzo. Tom Izzo forgot more about basketball today than I've ever known. I'm not an anti-Izzo guy. The biggest defender of the guy. Do the Twitter advanced search. Type in Izzo Darko State News. But he got this one wrong. And I'm, sorry, I'm tired of, this is going to be a first weekend team again, right? They're not going to the Sweet 16 with this group unless they, I mean, anything can happen. The tournament's wonky, but you're not picking that confidently, right? So now we're three years not getting into the second weekend. Hopefully they make the tournament. That's not acceptable at Michigan State. So, uh, yeah, most likely. Um, one thing, he, there's one sign that I have seen a drastic change in while this has all been going on. Izzo has wanted to make sure that he has never ended up in that he will never end up in a position like this of needing portal guys by having the most active, energetic and successful recruiting stretch I've seen him have in a long time. His his 2023 recruiting class getting four top 75 guys, two of which he landed a week after offering them within a week after offering them. One where he beat out Gonzaga and several blue chip programs. The other, the, the maestro of the class, the floor general, that he got way out in advance. His 2023 class is as good of a class as you can have. And he had increased energy and drive in order to assemble that class. I believe that comes out of a sense of um, not stubbornness, but a, a drive to prove people wrong that his way will work. So what he has done is not just outright defied, which which he has. He has channeled that into actual productivity, but just in the high school ranks instead of the portal. 2024, they're looking very good with another five-star center, James Brown, out of Illinois. So in terms of high school recruiting, I think they're going to position themselves where you'll never see another roster that's depleted in need of the portal. So I think, yeah, this, this season's going to be disappointing, but I think it's probably going to be the last time where you're going to be like, they needed somebody from the portal badly. Uh, but, okay, okay. This is, this is a mutual exclusivity issue here. They can 
do all that bang up work in recruiting and have a center here. Manny Bates, who's only going to be here one year, isn't going to I block. said they should have gotten Manny Bates. Okay, this is I'm saying what else? There's uh, no the ex- ripple effects. There's no excuse. It's saying, oh, well, he's going to he's going to show us. He's going to prove me wrong next year. I don't care. I, I do care about next year, but in the context of this argument, it's irrelevant. I, I, I'm, I'm talking about, in your example, Manny Bates, but there were other guys that are only going to be here one year anyway. This has nothing to do with next year. There's no effect on next year. I'm tired of losing in the first weekend. Is, is that too much? I mean, I, the Final Four is not on the schedule, la-di-da. It's not acceptable at a top... Uh, to me, this isn't even a top 10 program. This is like a top six program in the last 20 years. I think that's fair. You can get into it. It's way, way up there. Three years of this shit, two of the years, we didn't even think we were going to make the tournament potentially a couple weeks before. You're playing in the first four, which was a ratings play against UCLA, but that ain't Michigan State. I'll give you a blip. I'll even give you two. You don't get three. And the 2023 recruiting class, as erect as all of our penises are over it, and that's great, has nothing to do with getting Manny Bates here or getting somebody that was going to be here for one year. And you got to watch us lose on the boat because of the exact thing I said, idiot me, in my basement for four months. If they had just done what this moron here said, they would have beaten Gonzaga. To me, that's a fact. So I, I'm, I'm tired of, like, why consciously choose to lose that game? Because that, to me, they chose to lose that game. Not directly, but they chose consciously to do something or not do something that directly led to them losing that game. They chose to lose that game. I'm not impressed by the bravado, Tom. I'm not. I'm thrilled with the class next year. What the fuck is this defiant center thing? I, I can't believe what they did. I'm mad about it. I will say just one final thing. Okay, well, and then we'll move on. If they would have gotten a portal center, I don't know if Mari Suzuka is still here. Okay, see, that's, you know, we can play that with every school. Like, this is the one school where everyone's going to leave, and if, they don't, if they're not guaranteed 38 minutes a night, they're not going to come in the first place. It's not, Michigan State's not special in that regard. We're special in many ways. We're not negatively special in that regard. I'm, I di- I dis- I'm I just, just saying I, I heard stuff. I heard stuff in, in the summer where after I was complaining like you were complaining, that's what was passed along to me. He's is not, you wouldn't have gotten both. He's not playing 35 minutes a night anyway. You're telling me he can't feed everybody? Only because of his own foul troubles. All right, I, I just I disagree. That I mean, we I think we agree. Well, we on agree that this year they should have had Manny Bates. Yeah, but you're you're a little I'm bit more saying, gentle in the the delivery here. I'm I think this saying, is egregious. I'm just saying that two things can be true. Yes, they should have gotten a portal center this year, but they're not sitting on their hands. They have changed the way the high school recruit as a result of the portal stubbornness. Two things can be true. As a result of the portal. As stubbornness? a result so of portal stubbornness, they have changed the way they are recruiting now. Okay, okay. I mean, they're offering kids all over the map at, at 15 to 20 offer ranges. When in previous years, you'd see Midwest, maybe seven offers. But that is signed a, two guys. That is a self imposed mutual exclusivity. I mean, it, it is. It is self imposed. Like, but I'm saying they they're doing to something. Choose. It could have been both. Yes. Oh, Manny Bates. Well, this year it could have been both. In the future, it can't be both. I'm I'm talking about this year. Yeah, I've conceded this year. year. I've always said this year they should have gotten Manny Bates. But I think that they have done something different with the way they're going to be building in the future, and they're not just sitting on their hands. I'm I'm excited as hell for next year, though. (laughs) (laughs) We'll touch on it later at the end. But next year, I am pumped for. I'm mad, though, because I'm tired of getting made fun of. I'm very sensitive. This football (laughs) football program's not doing me any favors. All right. Um, I want to move on to your role 
and sort of, you know, it's an overused term. Draymond Green openly says the new media. You get hired at The Athletic, which I, I am taking, I mean, not even mostly credit, full credit for, actually. I'm taking full credit for it. I've started the movement. So we, we, we put out this graphic. Ben made it at, at my request. <laughs> Thin to The Athletic. Make it happen. We were we, the second Colton Pouncey left us high and dry for the Lions, Pete, with no replacement. We were begging, begging, begging for this to happen. Fast forward, ta da! All because of me. Nothing to do with the fact that you're incredible at what you do and everybody loves you. It was all me. Here's the announcement. Career note from Justin. I'm thrilled to announce I'm going to be writing for the Athletic this season. Thanks to everyone that made this possible. My name inconspicuously absent from that. It's uh, in black font in the, <laughs> yeah, in the graphic. Okay. So we got to switch to day mode to see it. Okay. Fair enough. So, and then I, this is, this is something I want to get, get out of the way. The response by the quote unquote old guard. <laughs> ben put up Matt Charbonneau. It, it This is like a minute after your post. I think he, he does a, I, I assume this from the office, Steve Carell laughing his ass off. I look, People really in the old guard, it's not just you, it's people like you, the quote-unquote new media. They hate you, again, not personally, what you represent, the sort of new wave. Is that fair? They don't really like what you represent and what you do. Is that fair? Well, I've never had those conversations with them, so I can't put words in their mouth. What's your read on it? How Do you feel welcomed into the the press road? Do you feel welcomed into the brotherhood? That did not seem like a warm welcome from Charbonneau. We don't know if that was about me first oh, of all, okay, but, all right. you know, but, but, to, but, but to answer your question, like Wade Fink on your couch, and but, but to answer your question, um, so it's, it's tricky because I, on one hand, I know those guys have met their midnight deadlines covering uh, minor league baseball and they worked their way up and, and, and they've grinded for years and this is their primary career. They majored in journalism and they came up sort of the, the right way. Right. So because of that, I've made sure to never call myself a journalist in any capacity. I've never referred to myself as a journalist, um, just a recruiting reporter um, and um, a contributor for The Athletic. So that is that is the way that I have felt that I have carried myself. Um, have I felt welcomed? I mean, it's, it's not like I go out and reach out and network or anything like that, but um, it's, it's just the, the styles don't seem to mesh. And um, when something like that happens, if we are going to assume that that it's about me, just because that's what everyone in the replies all seem to unanimously oh. think, um, I, I don't I don't look at it as taking offense to it. I think it's a sign of of almost like okay, I'm on the radar. I'm I'm kind of establishing myself here, almost sort of like a sense of of validation. But not that I not that I need that from from external forces. But I think. It's uh, that's kind of the way I look at it is, is those comments wouldn't be made if um, I wasn't doing something that was notable. So that's kind of the way that I look at it. But no, I don't I don't think the that the two styles mesh. But also, I, I would say that I haven't gone out and networked and, and kind of made um, any attempts to do so at the same time. I mean, I look, you can have the diplomatic response. I have my own frustrations with this in general. I have had it out with Tony Paul via text messages. Tony Paul is one of my best friends. This, it's, it's not personal, but we have a strong disagreement on this. I can't stand that type of stuff. To me, that is, that is Stone Age dinosaur stuff. Right. We have done interviews. I'm not going to get into all the examples on there because some of it's a little tricky. But we have basically broken news 
on my show before. Even like one example I'll give is Keon Coleman confirming he'll play basketball. There have been more serious things regarding Tunnelgate. Attorneys coming on my show. Like news was broken. Something that was not reported. It was broken live on my show. And they don't touch it. And they don't want to touch it. Do you know why they don't want to touch it? Because I'm not in the club. I, I'm not in the, the the brotherhood. Right. I'm new media too, just like you are. We're right. different, but we're in the same kind of new Definitely. media. You feel that little alienation, whether you admit it or not. You got a wry smile. I get. I broken news. Shit that's more newsworthy than what they're writing in the Detroit News and Free Press. They don't touch it. They don't want to touch it. As right. a general matter, there's a couple exceptions where we've been cited, but yeah. very rarely. Yeah. I'm just curious, is it, we can take Charbonneau out of it, take names out of it. Do you think that media is a little bit uh, fuddy-duddy with this stuff? They're a little bit behind the times? Because, I mean, you not being embraced is insane. Like, you're a a savant, you're a a freak of nature, you're a student at Michigan, not anymore, but at the time, a student at Michigan State, and you're you're more plugged in than anybody. It's, like, ridiculous. Do you feel a little frustration there? I think the, the the part that's frustrating is when I look at how I would react if, if someone is is coming up brand new. Um, well, I, I guess I'll give you real world examples. I have done Zoom calls with kids at multiple Big Ten universities asking me how they can get involved in the industry, and kids that I have I don't know at all, kids that um, weren't even following me when they had sent those DMs, just. Um, people wanting to get involved and them asking me kind of how, how we can go about doing it. I've spent 30, 40, 50 minutes kind of uh, helping those kids get in the industry. So that's just how I would view it. If someone's energetic and enthusiastic and trying to break in, um, I don't think that there's really any sort of competition that needs to exist. Um, even with other recruiting sites, which, which is all driven by competition and subscriptions, I have nothing but respect for the people that are working elsewhere. So for me, I just can't relate whatsoever to any sort of a guarded, um, approach to who can be a part of media. So I think, um, media, the more people that are involved, the more sources that, that everyone has overall, it breeds more motivation and competition for you to go ahead and get a scoop. I think it makes the beat better. The more people that are out there reporting stuff and more people that have the finger on the pulse, the more it motivates other people to go ahead and, and jump on stuff. I know if I ever get scooped from another recruiting site, I'm like, okay, cool. I need to go ahead and, and get some more scoops in return for this. So that's how I view it. I think it's healthy competition. It's good for the entire fan base. And I don't think there should be any safeguarding of who gets to have a role in it. I opined on this the first time you were here. I was in awe of you, and this was before your profile has grown exponentially since. You're a delightful weirdo, and in the best possible way. I, I mean this as a compliment. I don't know anybody else, at least in the state of Michigan, that was in college breaking shit like you were. I mean, getting these, these sort of uh, tips or whatever. I'm curious. You have DMs. People are hitting you up. You mentioned it. Yeah. Someone hits you up. They say, I'm... A nineteen-year-old sophomore at Michigan State. I'm an undergrad, and I'm in awe of your path. And I want to do what you do. You know, what did you do when you were a student that you're breaking these stories? It's bizarre. I've never seen anything like it. Like, what do you tell that kid if they message you? Well, the first thing is like, um, it's always surreal because I just never like kind of saw myself as having that kind of impact. Um, even still, like part of me is like, well, I don't, I don't know why you want to interview me, interview someone that's been doing this 20 years. They have way more wisdom for you than I do. But um, I think uh, part of it comes down to the fact that like 
when I was there, it was kind of a way to balance out the um, mundane mechanical engineering curriculum that that I was um, having to deal with instead. Um, Coach Sucker had just gotten the job. Um, recruiting had way more life in it than I had experienced before. And um, it was just a good time to kind of be close to the, the recruiting scene. Um, I got a, a message board subscription to Rivals right around that time. Um, and I think right around then is when I kind of also figured out Corey Robinson, who's my colleague now at 24-7, he was doing this as a um, part-time um, employee because his day job was working at the hospital. That was kind of the first time I figured out, oh, you don't have to be a journalism major to be a recruiting reporter. And my interest was only in being a recruiting reporter. Um, so that kind of worked out perfectly. And I was kind of just talking to some friends back then of of like some possibilities of dabbling in it a little bit. But I was kind of unsure if if I kind of had um, the time, if I had um, the interest long term to do it or if it was just something I wanted to try out a little bit. But um, I guess, yeah, I guess I should shout him out, too. I know my guy, uh, Nolan, who was my roommate at Michigan State, Abdul, who I've known since kindergarten. Those two guys were like, no, if you don't do it, we're going to be mad at you because you can go ahead and you can be on ESPN one day. I'm like, first of all, no one covers recruiting on ESPN, so you're wrong. Um, but they were like, no, like, you have to go for it and do it. Um, and then uh, my roommate, uh, Antonino, who's one of the smartest people I know, he helped kind of balance the, um, the school side of things um, with, with the workload. But um, because of those guys and kind of the conversations we had in University Village um, in East Lansing, that's kind of where that part of the career kind of unfolded. And I reached out to Jim Comperoni, the publisher of Spartan Mag, and I kind of pitched, like, let me work for free um, kind of just see what I got and we'll go from there. So I was kind of an unpaid, um, intern, uh, for rivals or I shouldn't say intern. I was putting in more hours than for my schoolwork, but, um, just like an unpaid contributor there for eight, nine months. And then, uh, Alan true, true chains, as I call them from 24 seven kind of said, come over to, to this side uh, alongside Corey. So from then it's kind of grown and you know, the rest of the story, but that's basically the blueprint that, that I tell the people when um, they ask me, when they interview, like, how'd you get involved? It's, I didn't do it for the money. Still don't do it for the money. People would be surprised and, and kind of bewildered why I do it if they heard about the money. Um, and at the end of the day, I think that's where you have to be at if you want to kind of excel at this, especially early on, is you have to do it out of enthusiasm, out of energy, out of passion. Otherwise, you're going to be in it for two, three months, get frustrated if you're not getting responses back from recruits or your sources are drying up. That's not going to be sustainable unless you have just energy and enthusiasm for it. And that blueprint and those kind of messages are what I tell people when they ask kind of how to get involved in it. So you, you gave a great answer for how to become a recruiting reporter and how you got there. And there's a lot of recruiting reporters. No offense. Like they ain't at your level for the most part. Why were these insiders, players, coaches, players, families, whatever, no offense, but giving you the time of day when you were a student. Like now I get yeah. it. You got the athletic thing. They were giving you the time of day because you were getting the scoops. Like I, I get it. You're enthusiastic, willing to work for free. Yeah. Why were you better than most people in your space as a kid? I mean, what was the secret sauce there? I think it's because I resonated with the kids that were student athletes and knew what they were kind of going through in their daily lives. 
like when you go ahead and and you spend a lot of days freshman year with Jaron and you see Jaron Jackson and you see um, what he's going through on social media when he's only scoring 14 and seven that day when he's supposed to be a top five pick in the draft and you see how it weighs in on him. You go about reporting and handling these things a certain way um, where you kind of put the kids first a little bit. So the kids and the coaches that represent the kids see that and they say, okay, this guy's not doing it for clout. This kid's not doing it to be first. This kid's doing it to tell the story of why my player or why I am committing to the school or telling a story of why um, so-and-so is interested in the school. It's not for any sort of agenda or for career advancement. It's just another kid close to their age taking interest in them as student athletes. And I think that's kind of where I was able to turn that into um, whatever it has become so far. So basically just come at it honestly and with enthusiasm. Right. In so many words, right? Yeah. 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 I, I think part of it is I never had any expectations of what it could become. I didn't think I would ever make any money out of it. I didn't think I would ever have a huge platform. So I never angled it in a way where those things were the goal. Um, maybe I should have. Maybe I'd have um, a more sort of a, of a platform now. Who knows? We'll never know. Yeah, but you're splitting the atom in your I, day I, job. So. But I think uh, at the end of the day, it's, it's I never had expectations of it being this big. And that just allowed me to kind of just do things in what I think is the right way. But who knows? It's just more Subjective. organic. I mean, the last thing I want to hit on that real quick, it, the concept of access journalism Look, I, I have a journalism degree from, you know, the best place in the world to get one, Michigan State. So, but I, I'm not a professional journalist, I wouldn't say. I, I do wrestle sometimes, like even with what I just said about Tom Izzo. Tom Izzo is my number one dream guest ever. Like I, I have asked Tom Izzo to be on the show like 6,000 times. I even, when I did what I did back there and said what I said, think, oh shit, did I just cost myself Tom Izzo? Because I do know there's people that watch the show that are on the team and in the program. Does that ever kind of weigh on you with something you write, even something you tweet of, you know, am I going to lose access or, or damage a relationship? How much does the access journalism thing weigh on you, if at all, when you're proceeding forward with what to tweet, what not to tweet, report, not report? Yeah, I think everything that I say that I believe, uh, everything I say I believe. Um, sometimes, like, yeah, I might not be able to have a nine um, tweet series in the middle of a game bashing um, play calls when I need to know what's happening in the recruiting back uh, in the recruiting quarterback picture. So, like, yes, in, in some cases, I have to um, take emotion out of it, not live tweet what I'm thinking and just acting like um, a, a fan. But I don't ever say anything I don't believe. I don't go ahead and carry the water for anyone just because I'm like, oh, if I say something nice, it'll help me in this way. So yeah, sure. I don't think I have the leeway to go ahead and bash people the way that people that are not recruiting reporters do, because a lot of my access being candid is tied to the people that are on the staff. But there's a difference between kind of behaving in a way where you are more tempered versus just going ahead and being a poster poster boy or fanboy for the program. So I'm sure there are many people out there, especially Michigan fans, that would say, no, you are a fanboy. But I think I've never said anything that I didn't believe. Have I held stuff back that I've wanted to tweet? Yes. But I think there's a difference between that and being dishonest or, or just promoting things you don't believe in. It's discretion versus dishonesty. That's exactly right. That's Dis exactly right. Dis discretion, not dishonest. That's you right. Know, that's, that's what I think. I, I think you do land in that boat. 
you know I'm a big fan here. So I think you're doing an awesome job with what you do. I, I just I, I want to see you continue to bow up. I am taking full credit for the athletic thing. <laughs> I got to see what next I can take credit for and, and bowing you up. I do want to finish with a quick speed round. Do you have a little more time? Yes. You got some speed round? Yes. Okay. Ben, let's roll the speed round. All right, we're keeping it to like 90 seconds or less. You're, it's on you. We talked about it a little bit. Tom Izzo's 2023 class. I could not be more excited for this thing. I mean, Xavier Booker, Jeremy Fears, Cohen Carr, Garrett Norman. I, I am, for all my negativity earlier, I'm over the moon for this class. I think it has what they need, who they need, the attitude by all accounts. What do you make of this class in general? And is this going to be the class that delivers ultimately that second national title? Yeah, I think this class, um, the, the most underrated component of it is not just how good they are, but how well they fit with each other. There's not a lot of overlapping skill sets. Everyone's complementary of the other player molds in the class. So when you are looking at someone like Garrick Norman, who's kind of that three, four kind of mix, you see Cohen Carr, who's another wing, but completely different skill set, jumps out of the gym, can guard, has a lot of switchability. Xavier Brooker, we know kind of what he is. Jaron Jackson light with maybe more work, uh, work necessary on defense. But Jeremy Fears, as you know, a ball distributor, just downhill guy, very intense, great defender, great leader. Everyone has their own sort of identity. And when you mesh them with guys already on the team, like um, Madi Suzoko, like um, Jackson Kohler at center, then you start moving down. Um, you, you have Jaden Akins. You have maybe if Tyson Walker wants to come back with his COVID year. Um, even Joey Hauser could come back on a COVID year. Point guard AJ Hogard, um, Trey Hallman, we know what they are. All those pieces fitting with this class, I don't think you could build a better roster with that. And um, really, the only position I worry about next year is backup center. But like we were saying earlier, Jackson Kohler is going to have trial by fire here. So he's going to be better off than, um, I guess, he has all the opportunity in front of him to get better. So that's that's, I think it's a great class. Is it going to be the class that gets Izzo the title? I think if Izzo wins the title in the next few years, a good chunk of that class will be here. I think what you're going to have to see is Xavier Booker might have one of those careers where he goes into the NBA and is, is something that Spartan fans really admire and appreciate. But while he's here, I think it's going to be more of um, some, some rust, some raw undeveloped traits where he's going to show lots of flashes, probably one and done going to the NBA, be taken high in the lottery off of potential more than production. And I think what you're going to see is a 2024 class that, that's coming in where nobody's committed yet, but the guys that I'm hearing from right now and the level they're recruiting at, the reach they have down in Texas, obviously close in, in uh, Chicago, although in the West Coast, I think that class is going to be as good as this class. So if you stack two of those classes next to each other, I think that's when, when you can start to have um, a second shot at the title if the next class doesn't do it um, as, as freshmen. But I think there's going to be some sustainable success here from recruiting here. The same people that told me Cassius Winston is a fake four-star, he should be a six-star because he's going to be a stud, are telling me the same thing about Jeremy Fears. I, yeah. for, I, I'm not a recruiting guy. The same handful of people that were like, Winston's going to be way – I mean, this is you'd rather have him than top five guys in this right. class are telling me the same thing about Jeremy Fears for whatever it's worth. Right. We touched on this, I think your first appearance, is at least over a year ago now. I'm rerunning the same exact graphic we used that night. This is a recycled graphic on purpose. We talked about it over a year ago. I'm curious what the, the handicap is on this for you right now. Who replaces Tom Izzo ultimately next year, five years, 10 years, whenever? 
Has your handicap changed at all? You were a, a Nate Oates guy, I believe, when we spoke a little over a year ago. You, yeah, I'm not a Nate Oates guy anymore. So you're off the Nate Oates train. Yeah. Who, If you had to pick you know, one or two favorites right now, who do you like? It may be nobody up there. I don't think anybody up there, unless Izzo retires much sooner than we think. I think then maybe DJ could get it. But Yeah, Dwayne Stevens. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I think... Um, it's gonna be if it's gonna be a few years, and I don't know if that any candidate that we can think of right now would be that guy, except maybe Drew Valentine. That's my guy. That's if you asked my me horse. who my choice would be, it would be Drew. But we need more of a sample size, but we're gonna get it because well, yeah, retiring, we know so. it's not coming tomorrow. That's, right, that's exactly. why it's a speculation. Yeah, 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 and and if he proves to flame out, we can choose somebody else in, in the meantime. But. My guy who I would choose is Drew Valentine, but um, we'll see. It's it's. I think it's so many years away, probably at least three plus years away oh, that we don't, right. m- maybe five plus years away. If, really? If Izzo recruits the way he's recruiting in 2023 and 2024, and with Jalen Harrelson in 2025, he's going to be a top five player in his class, and I think Michigan State leads. The recruiting classes they're about to start stacking up here is going to be unlike I've seen since I followed Michigan State. And uh, if they transpire the way I think, who who can retire when that's what you're looking at? Did you hear what Mike Villani said like in March of no, this year? I did not. You don't sound very enthused to hear about it. But <laughs> Mike, Mike Villani said bad. I mean, it may be off by month. It was March of this year, I believe. And the, the clip's still out there on YouTube somewhere. That Tom Izzo's at the end. No. That it's it's a year. It, it's starting to feel exactly like Mark D'Antonio did at the end. Now, now he didn't report that, to clarify. He, I, I'm not saying he reported that. That was his reading the tea leaves. That was his opinion with the post of the program, the people he talks to. He said he thinks Tom's at the end. He said he he specifically, I'm pretty sure, explicitly said in the clip that it won't be five more years. I mean, I, I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure he even put the five-year timeline as like a no way. That's why my ears perked up when yeah. you said up to five more years. Yeah. I w- you don't think he's like a year or two away from hitting the, hitting no. the and I would be able to have a lengthy, lengthy debate with anyone that said that Izzo is going out like D'Antonio. Um, I think the only similarity you could you could have is what we were talking about earlier, stubbornness with the center kind of um, being kind of similar to D'Antonio, having hints of stubbornness with the coaching changes at the end. Um, but other than that, I, I see no similarities. Izzo is recruiting with more energy now than I have seen. Obviously, people that have followed the program longer than me could could talk about other eras. Uh, where that may be possible. But here we have a coach that's recruiting better than he ever has, whereas D'Antonio was recruiting worse than he ever had towards the end, as we saw most of his guys ending up um, in lower competition levels under Tucker. But, yeah, it's it's just completely completely nothing uh, as the same as how D'Antonio was recruiting. I agree. I don't agree with Flanny's take, but yeah. I was curious for your read on that. Okay, speaking of time as own national titles and the elusive number two, Gun to your head. Tom Izzo, over under one and a half national championships in his career. We already know he's halfway to the two. Does he get it? If you had to, if you had your life depended on getting it right. And that's tough because it's really hard to win one. Do you think he gets that second one before he retires? If Cohen Carr is at Michigan State as a junior, and the 2025 class is what I expect, I think he will have three chances to have at least final four appearances. Okay. 
2013, I mean... 2023 class as a freshman is is what everyone's talking about, right? How many have we blown? Or not blown, that's, that, that's a little hard. That's why I'm trying to think of but how many chances I, you might have. I mean, have. 2010, if Kalen Lucas doesn't get hurt, I think they win the whole thing. I believe that. They lost by one point to Butler without the Big Ten Player of the Year, their best player. I mean, yeah. that was a BB plus Duke team. It wasn't a, a juggernaut Duke yeah. team. So that's one. Yeah. 09, I'm not going to fault them. They were the best team in the field except for the super North Carolina team. But, you know, 12, they're a one seed. 14, I mean, they've... 15, that was kind of a fraud. 18, I mean, to me, I could argue they've blown or missed out on at least three or four. 16, they were the favorite in Vegas to win. Yeah, so what... Yeah, exactly. So when you ask me a question of can he win one more, I try to think of how many shots does he have. Okay. And a lot of people think of is um, 2023, 2024 season is his one shot. If he doesn't win it, he doesn't win it. I disagree with that notion. Now we need to see who he actually lands in 2024, but if it's the guys that it's looking like, then I believe that's definitely another window. Whereas I think everyone from the 2023 class will go and stay another year, maybe except uh, Booker. So you've gotten three of those four guys moving on. You have a great 2024 class coming in. And that's kind of where I look at it as it's a window. It's not a year. It's a window. And if that is indeed what transpires on the recruiting trail, I would go over one and a half. Okay. I mean, maybe. Just because I think they'll get two or three shots. What if he wins two more? He ends up at three. <laughs> He's been chasing two. Why not add a third? <laughs> Fuck it. All right. We'll finish here. Totally unrelated to anything. Your Philadelphia 76ers suck. What is going on with that? They we're ending here. I, I This is going to be 30 seconds, but. Can we talk about the Eagles? You guys are five. I, I don't want to talk about the Eagles after what they did to me in that ridiculous uh, game <laughs> against the Washington football team, the one Eagles game I bet all year. Your 76ers team sucks. This is James Harden is the Stefan Marbury, the better version of this era. A bunch of stats, a bunch of razzle dazzle, and he never wins Jack. And he's not as charitable with the cheap shoes overseas. What's going on in Philadelphia? I, have, have you given up on the process of working? This thing's done, right? No, I think oh. I, I think I think right now what what has happened the last three weeks is none of their guys have played, right? Tyrese Maxey's been out, James Harden's been out, Embiid, I think just got back recently. That's baked so, in. Embiid and Harden missing games is baked in at this point. Right. So so what I look at is Tyrese Maxey is one of the most exciting players in the NBA. The guy went from his rookie year shooting like 33% from three to last year being fifth in the NBA in three-point percentage. I have never seen a transformation in year one to two like that. Harden, he's not as explosive in scoring anymore. Last year when he led the NBA in assists, that is why Tyrese flourished. I think they have an identity here that works really well. It's the injuries that I don't have any faith in. Last year when they went ahead and they played against uh, Miami in the playoffs, Embiid had this thumb out and he had an uh, eye socket destroyed. Something's going to happen in the playoffs again this year where he's not 100%. And then it's just going to be hard in passing the ball every single time, not shooting, and everything on maxi. So I think if, if the injuries, um, you could guarantee me a healthy playoff run, I would take him against anyone up until the finals. But that's just not how it's going to happen. <laughs> Come on. Really? Didn't they have the with, fourth best with, with, finals odds before the season that- started? Yeah, people people are fools. Assume they're they're healthy, but they're standing around. James Harden can't guard a chair. They just dump it down to Embiid, who just tries to draw a foul every time. It's the most unwatchable brand of basketball ever. Bring back that muddy New Jersey Nets O two shit. Kenyon Martin and Jason Kidd over this nonsense. I hate the Seventy Sixers. I hate your basketball team. James Harden is the biggest fraud of his generation. 
You're 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 saying they're the best team in the East. No, not at all. I'm saying I will. You said take you would take them, them over anybody. I said until the finals. I said if you could guarantee me in a perfect hypothetical world that they're fully healthy, I'll give in you a that. Seven game series. I'll give you that. In a seven game series, I'm not placing money on another team until the finals. Okay, I disagree. I, I would take whatever's going on in Boston. Or I'm not going to. I'm saying it. Boston could win. But I wouldn't be confident enough to put money on it. I would. Especially well, if Tyrese Maxey is playing the way he's been playing. Ju- juice free bet with me against whoever they're playing. <laughs> I'll, I'll bet against them in the first round, depending on the matchup. I'm not a fan. They're, they're 500 nonsense. Anyway, you're the man. I appreciate you. Appreciate you having me. Portal season for you. You're very busy. I yep. appreciate you. Can't wait to time. go watch tape when I get home. Seriously, go watch tape. Go grind away. Uh, ben Augusta, man, we love you. Great and powerful eyes on the other side of the curtain. Eric Williamson in his boxers, on his couch, watching live. This was fun, man. You're welcome back anytime. Maybe, I don't know, January, February? Tomorrow? Yeah. Izzo? <laughs> are you sometime in Izzo? I don't know. We'll, we'll talk to you, and I'm looking forward to it. Uh, you're, you are welcome back anytime. You're the man. Justin Finn. This was Spiro Avenue. Justin Spiro. We'll see you next time. Thanks.